The first reading for tonight's message is from Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within sixty-five years Ephraim will be broken to pieces, so that it will no longer be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The second reading is from Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. That's why we say thanks be to God. We are thankful. We realize that it is through your scripture that you speak to us. Through Through the power of your Holy Spirit illuminating that word, making that word find deep root in our hearts. That's how you change us. And God, we want to be changed. 
we want to look more like Jesus. I pray that would happen tonight. Lord, I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain. And may they change us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I hope my voice holds out. I told myself I shouldn't sing, but I did anyway. Um, my seven-year-old has been singing a song at home a lot. The Begat song. Have, 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 do you all know the Begat song by Andrew Peterson? She sings it all the time. Um, if you haven't heard the song, it's based on Matthew chapter 1, and it simply walks through the genealogy of Jesus. The first time I listened to it, I thought Christian music had sunk to a new low, which I, I didn't think was possible. You know, now we're just resorting to uh, just getting a genealogical list and just singing through it. Um, but I, I've since had a change of heart about that song, um, because genealogies meant a great deal to the Jewish people. Uh, for instance, if you read through Genesis, the parts that you skipped over in reading through Genesis is the part that the Jewish people would really fixate on. They actually called Genesis Toledot, the book of Toledot, or the book of generations. And there's seven generational genealogical lists in Genesis that they would focus on. They would slow down and they would contemplate every name. Because for them, it's not just names, it's stories. Every name just, just evoked a memory. And they would see, they'd be reminded how, how man had failed and how God had proved himself faithful with each one of these people. The genealogies were a narrative. Now we've just read one of the most famous passages in all of scripture, the Christmas story. And we just looked at one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Um, you find it in Isaiah 7 and in Matthew 2. Certainly it's the most famous Christmas verse here. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. But it's important to realize that this verse comes right after the genealogies. This, this verse doesn't just appear in a vacuum. There's story leading up to this. This, this verse is a part of history. I guess you could say that when you take time to read through genealogies, it's actually a way to celebrate Advent. You can't just, you know, if you're going to remember the stories, if you're going to remember how man has failed and as God has proved himself faithful to each one of those people, you have to slow down. And you begin waiting with them through each name, through each name after name. And it's Advent as you're waiting for the coming of the Messiah. We're going to do a little bit of that tonight. This sermon is going to be a little different than my others. Um, it's going to be a little more historical. Um, I, I hope it doesn't put you to sleep. Um, it, it, it really thrills me when I think about Isaiah 7, the, the, the sign of Emmanuel, in its context, that in its historical context, what it meant to those people, what it, what it meant to all those people in the genealogies, and what, how it led up to Jesus is fascinating. It's transforming. Now, we can't go through all of the genealogies, the genealogical list in Matthew 1, because we, we would be here for a long, long time, but we can start with David. Um, King David... He's the second king of Israel. 
He first you had Saul and then you had King David. He ruled around 1000 BC. He ruled for about 40 years. And uh, David and Solomon were considered the golden years of Israel. This is when, uh, especially the reign of Solomon, it's when they knew only peace and prosperity. And God's blessing was on this nation. And uh, after that, Israel will never know that again. Uh, After Solomon died, Israel was divided. You you realize that Israel only had uh, a united kingdom for three kings. You had Saul, you had David, you had Solomon, then the kingdom split. And it split into the northern kingdom, which had ten tribes of Israel, and then you had the southern kingdom, which had two tribes. The, The northern kingdom is called Ephraim, sometimes it's called Israel. And you have the southern kingdom here, which is called Judah. And altogether, you had 39 kings that ruled during this time. It was a horrible period. Of those 39, 31 are described as evil. 31 of the 39 kings are described as evil. And the eight that were good weren't really that great. It was a terrible time in Israel's history. And these, these two kingdoms, they would, they'd often be fighting all of their neighboring, uh, the neighboring kingdoms around them. And sometimes they would fight with each other. And the context of Isaiah 7 is actually in the middle of them fighting with one another. It escalated to the point where the southern kingdom of Judah was about to be destroyed. And it's here that you have God sending the prophet Isaiah and we find our Christmas verse. You know, the the words, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel are usually said in the context of a very quiet, candlelit church, peaceful moment, or it's uh, usually said, you know, in some kind of Christmas pageant with, you know, kids dressed in bathrobes and, you know, they, they, they would read this before singing Away in a Manger or Silent Night or something like that, but but. Originally, this was said right on the brink of war. This was said to a terrified people, a people who were about to be completely demolished. They had no hope. Isaiah comes to them. Look at Isaiah 7, verse 1 again. It says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, And Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. The year is around 735 B.C. at this point. Ahaz is now the king of Israel. He's 20 years old, and he is now the king. He just inherited the throne from his father Jotham, who was a good king. His grandfather Uzziah was another good king. And so he inherits his throne, but he inherits it in a terrible situation. The moment he becomes king, he realizes, I'm going to be likely the last king of Judah. Because he is surrounded and the armies are about to break through and destroy him. Not exactly what he had hoped for in becoming king. Now, In dealing with this crisis, Ahaz begins to look at all these different options. He's scared to death. He doesn't know what to do. Look at at verse 2. It describes Ahaz 
And it says, And the heart of his people shook as the trees shake before the wind. They're scared out of their mind. They're shaking. And here, God sends a prophet, Isaiah. And Isaiah, he meets Ahaz at uh, one of the water conduits. Apparently, uh, Ahaz is going, he's trying to shore up the water supply because siege is imminent. And he goes up to him, and look at verse 4. He says, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint. Yeah, right. I mean, right. Tell that to a 20-year-old king with armies just about to break through. Hey, be quiet. Be careful. Don't fear. I mean, he's got to be thinking, what, what, what world are you living in, Isaiah, that you would come here and tell me these things? No way. You can't rest in a time like this. And so Isaiah looks at him and gives him another comforting word from the Lord. In verse 7, he says, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. You're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. So the Lord tells through Isaiah to Ahaz, he says, hey, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I I know you're so scared about all of these armies. You're, You're looking at Syria, but Syria really just boils down to one person, resin, who's its head. And I know you're so so worried about Ephraim, but it's really just one man, Ramalia. You don't need to worry about the armies. You don't need to worry about the nations. It's just two people. I can take care of two people. And implicit in this is the Lord asking Isaiah, who is your head? We see who is their head. Now, who is your head? Then Isaiah gives Ahaz, this is one of my favorite parts. He gives Ahaz a bumper sticker. I'm dead serious. He gives Ahaz one of those one-liners, you know, that just kind of sticks out, kind of makes you roll your eyes. You know, in, in your Bible it says, if you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Um, and, and that's a pretty good translation. It misses the rhyming, though, which really is what, you know, make, makes this a bumper sticker, the, in Hebrew, it's tamanu, teamanu. Tamanu, teamanu. And you could, I guess, translate it crudely as trust or bust. That's what it is. He finally, he pulls it all down and he gives us a little rhyming bullet. And he goes, trust or bust. Kind of sounds like turn or burn. You know, it's just one of those things that you just, you would read and, and He says this because he wants to pound this in Ahaz's head. He wants this one thing to be bouncing around in there. Trust or bust. Trust or bust. This is a life or death situation that I need to trust in the Lord on. And here's the amazing thing about this. He asked Ahaz to stand firm in his faith. But Ahaz has no faith. He is one of the worst kings of all of Israel. 
If you want, turn to 2 Kings 16, 1 through 4, or I'll just read it if you can't turn there. 2 Kings 1 through 4, this is about Ahaz. It says, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. This is one of the worst kings in all of Israel. I mean, he wasn't just a bad king. This man was wicked. He actually sacrificed his son. He burned his own son. And he's likely doing this as a way of crying out to help. Because the moment he became king, the armies are about to come in. And yet he's doing these things. He won't call out to the Lord Hey, but I'll sacrifice my child to some pagan god. And then he goes and he makes sacrifices on every hill, every green tree. He is sacrificing to every pagan god out there, but he will not call upon the Lord. This is one of the most wicked, evil men Israel has ever known. And Isaiah says, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. And I think what he's saying here is, hey, do you remember your grandfather Uzziah? Do you remember Jotham? Do you remember how they had faith? Is there any of that in you? Any? I'm just looking for a little. If if it's there, call out to me and I will answer. Stand firm. And Ahaz is likely thinking, Hey, Isaiah, I live in the real world with real problems. And your archaic religion doesn't apply. Military might is what matters. Uh, Political astuteness, that's what matters. Making alliances, that's what matters. You're telling me I'm just supposed to do none of that and just trust in this God who I can't see, who I have no relationship with, and he's supposed to somehow deliver me? Yeah, right. Wake up from whatever fantasy little religious world you're in. You you could actually say that this is a story about salvation through works or salvation through faith. That's what this is about. Ahaz, are going to try to save yourself by working, which he does. Isaiah doesn't know it, but he's already already making an alliance. Isaiah probably is aware of this. He's making an alliance with Assyria. I'm going to pay off the Assyrians to come to my help. I'm going to make an alliance. Does this feel like a Christmas story yet? You're all getting in the Christmas spirit? Put yourself in Ahaz's shoes. I mean, seriously. Picture America. Just what if we are being attacked by all these groups? We're being attacked and our doom is imminent. And all of a sudden, you know, some, some preacher stands up and he says, Hey, you know what? We need to repent and pray. And just 
rest, okay? You know, goes up to the president and says, hey, this is what you need to do. You, you don't need to send the military out. You don't need to try to work behind the scenes, make an alliance. You don't need to do all those things. What you need to do is nothing and trust. And the president would be like, well, as a nation, you know, no, we're not really a Christian nation. We haven't really called out to God to do all these things. I, you know, I don't think so. He's like, no, that's, I'm not saying, I'm not looking at your past. Just call out to him now. Seems kind of absurd. That's exactly what's happening here. So this is the Christmas story. And then the Lord does something extraordinary. He tells Ahaz in verse 10, he says, Ask of me a sign. A sign that's as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven, and, and I will give it to you to prove my word. Now, you can look all through Scripture and you're never going to find any time that the Lord ever tells somebody, hey, ask of me a sign. You're not going to find it. Asking the Lord of a sign is wrong. People don't ask the, for the Lord a sign. That's testing the Lord. You don't do that. But here you actually have the God of the universe telling a man, said, ask of me, I will do anything, no matter how great. Do it. Come on, ask. I mean, it seems like God's bending over backwards. It seems like it to help this man, this very wicked man. And Ahaz, he goes, uh, <clears throat> all of a sudden he gets very, you know, religious, I guess. Actually, he's just pompous. He says, no, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. I wouldn't do that. Like he cares. God then does something extraordinary. He gives Ahaz a sign anyway. It's fine, don't ask for a sign. But I tell you what, I'm going to give you a sign. And it's going to be the greatest sign. I just said you can ask anything as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. I'll give it to you. I'm going to give you the greatest sign of all signs. Are you ready? Here it is. And we come to verse 13. And he said, hear then, O house of David. Just, just right there, you've got to stop. He's no longer just addressing Ahaz. You, you have here that Isaiah's backing up. And yes, it's directed toward Ahaz, but it's more it's like, Ahaz, you're a representative of the entire royal line of David, of all of Israel. Here, here, O house of David, here's the sign. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And there it is. Christmas. Most famous Christmas verse we have in the Bible. And, and, and you know when Ahaz heard it, he had to be thinking, what? <laughs> what? You call that a sign? A woman's going to have a child? Come on. I mean, a sign's fire falling down from heaven. You know, I, even I remember the, the sign about water being turned into blood. That's a sign. Raise somebody from the dead. That's a sign. A card trick is better than a woman having a child, all right? This is not a sign. God says it is the sign. The sign. So why does God give Ahaz, the son of Emmanuel. 
I mean, why reveal his name, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us? Why reveal it to him at this time? Well, I think it's because here you find man in desperate need. You find people who cannot save themselves. You find people who have turned to every God under the sun and cried out for help. And no one has answered. It's here you see a wicked, evil people crying out to God to basically judge them. Who refuses all of God's graces and all of God's mercies. People who have no faith at all. I think it's people like us. God doesn't say this to people who have their act together. He doesn't say this to people who are really good. That's not what the sign of Emmanuel is for. It's for us, people whose hearts are depraved and broken and sinful and who cry out to all other gods. That's who the sign of Emmanuel is for. God is with us. This is really good, good news in case you don't get this. It's really good news. But sometimes even good news is hard to take because it means you have to admit something. For this to be good news, you have to admit something. You have to admit that you have failed in order to accept the sign of Emmanuel. Um, as you know, I've got three little girls. Um, for the most part, they get along remarkably well. They play together pretty well. Um, but, you know, I'll let you in on a little secret. They occasionally sin. Um, they, they occasionally fight. Um, actually, at least daily. But, you know, it, it's interesting to, to, to hear them and see them fight over just ridiculous things. And often they're upstairs playing, and I'm downstairs, and I hear them fighting. And so they start yelling. And whenever they yell, they really, you know, enunciate each other's names so well. Not ta Lee, Caroline, you know, and they're just, they're just shouting at one another. And, and Lauren and I will look at each other and we just say, well, you know, just let them work it out. And we wait. And then they're still fighting. So Lauren goes, hey, why don't you say something? So I'll go to the steps. And I'll go, hey, work it out. <laughs> so I, hey, I fixed that one, honey. <clears throat> and then they're, they're still fighting. Like, ah, fine. So I go to the steps and I yell up once again. I was like, hey, whatever toy you're fighting over, neither one of you can play with it. All right? Say her sorry. Work it out. And I go back. And they're still fighting. They're still fighting. And finally it comes to the point where I'm like, you know what? I got to come up there. My words need to become flesh at some point. My words need to become flesh. They need to see me there to put an end to all the quarreling to all of their fighting, to all of their failure. I've got to be present. God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet with his words. Don't do this. Stop. Repent. Change. And it wouldn't happen. It just kept getting worse and worse. And finally, God said, you know what? 
It's time for my word to become flesh. Which is both a great hope. It's good news because he's going to put an end to the conflict. But it also bruises our pride because we have to admit we need help. That our hearts are bad. And we need somebody to come in. I mean, we would, in our life, we'd hear God saying things to us, you know, have no other gods before me. And yet we would, we would, uh, we would worship gods of success, gods of money. We would sacrifice our own children on the altar of success. Many of us have. God would say, hey, don't lie. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And we would lie. He'd say, hey, don't covet. And yet we would covet we would covet people's jobs, people's spouses, people's clothes, people's reputation. And finally, God says, all right, it's time. Since you can't work it out because you're flawed and you're sinful, it's time for my word to become flesh. It's time for Emmanuel, God, to be with you. He comes to us in our darkest hour. He comes and lives in the midst of an evil people. You know, even when you jump to Isaiah 9 and you hear all those wonderful names of God, he's the wonderful counselor. Well, that implies that you're not a great counselor, that you don't have wisdom. And God is, he's the wonderful counselor. He's almighty God. And that, that, you can actually translate that. He's the heroic God, which means he's the one who comes in and he saves us. He's the prince of peace, meaning you don't have peace. And he's got to come and bring you peace. Even when we ascribe those names to God, even when we hallow those names, what we are recognizing is that we have failed in all those. We need them. Ahaz did not listen to Isaiah. He did not have faith. He made a very practical, wise decision. He paid off Assyria. At one point, he went, even went to Assyria when he paid them all the money, and he took careful notation of all their altars. And when he came back to Jerusalem, he tore down the main altar in the temple of Jerusalem, and he set up an Assyrian one so he could sacrifice to their gods there. Then Assyria turned on him. That's what they wanted all along. And they don't remove him as king. They just remove all of his power. Now he's just a puppet king. He has no power whatsoever. And the kingdom of, of, of Judah never will again and have no power. The royal line just pretty much goes into oblivion. A couple, about 150 years later, they're destroyed. People think that the, the line of David is gone. People could care less at this point. So much so that 735 years after Isaiah made this prophecy, you could actually have an heir to the throne the royal descendant of David, and he's just the son of a carpenter, and nobody even knows. Hey, this is the one who's going to rule. This is the Messiah. This is the king of the world. He is in such obscurity that there's nobody bowing down to him, following him, praising him as king. When Christ comes, which we read in Matthew, he comes as God with us, to save us not from an army, but to save us from ourselves, to save us from sin and death. There's two names, and we might look at this actually in a few weeks. There are two names in Matthew chapter 2, or chapter 1. There are two names that, that God says you're to name the Messiah. He says, hey, 
Joseph, you're to name him Jesus, Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. Says, hey, Joseph, you don't get to name this child because you don't have authority over him. I name the child and his name is Yeshua, meaning the Lord saves. His other name is Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us, saving us. That is who Jesus is. And the same line stands. Stand firm in your faith, whatever little faith you have, or you don't stand at all. Trust that God is with us to save us. That is what Christmas is about. Pray with me. For 735 years, people waited for the sign of Emmanuel. We thank you for Jesus, Father. Thank you that he is our king, that he saves us from our problems. He saves us from ourselves and sin and death. And we come to you and we admit we're broken. We can't work it out. We need him. We need God with us, saving us. I pray we remember that this Christmas. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our present and our future King. Amen.